20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Thanks so much for joining me today. Of course, if you have not already, please, please, please make sure to subscribe. You will not regret it. I promise you. Packers defeat the Seattle Seahawks 19 to 15 at Lambeau Field. We are officially on to the regular season. I didn't think it was like a crazy game for huge talking points and massive takeaways. I think from like a Jordan Love standpoint, I don't think we learned a ton from Jordan Love or the offense. Defense made a couple plays. The ending was kind of cool. And, and certainly the, the game like kept you at, I guess, the sort of edge of your seat at the end with kind of going back and forth towards the end. But I didn't think there were any massive takeaways. Certainly some things we'll still go over and talk through, uh, but just kind of a, a fun preseason game that just got, you know, kind of gets us through uh, this part of the season. And now we actually get to talk about Packers, Bears, the regular season, etc. We've got two weeks to do that though. So let's break down this game. First and foremost, you know, one of the really cool things, and of course, week three of preseason is about those roster battles, right? And who's going to try to make a name for themselves. But sometimes you just get moments like the Packers had towards the end of this game. Packers go down in the fourth quarter, and it looks like maybe this game is just going to fizzle out and the Seahawks are going to win, and that's going to be the end of preseason, right? But instead, you ha- you kind of have these very cool moments where Alex Magoo hits J- uh, Jadakus Bonds for the big throw down the field, and then you've got the the you know the touchdown that gives them the lead from McCrary on the rushing touchdown, and, and really you have you know a whole drive put together by Alex Magoo uh, to really help the the Packers take the lead specifically on that drive, and then you end up with the Benny Sapp game ceiling game winning interception. Now McCrary may not even be a practice squad guy, right? Alex Magoo, same thing. May not, you know, may never don green and gold ever again. I think he probably is on the Packers practice squad, but we'll have to sort of wait and see. Benny Sapp, same thing. May might never see an NFL snap and uh, you know, defensive snap in an actual NFL game. I I'm, I'm not hoping that for any of those guys, but that certainly could be the case, right? They they may never put on the green and gold in an actual NFL game again. It's certainly within the realm of possibility. But those guys will remember those things forever. And it may not be anything, you know, 10 years from now, I don't think we're going to be talking about the Jadakus Bonds catch in preseason. I don't think we're going to be talking about the game-winning Benny Sapp. Where were you when Benny Sapp had the game-winning interception? But when you're Benny Sapp and you have the game-winning, game-sealing interception in a Packer game at Lambeau Field, I'm sure he's keeping that ball. He's going to be able to tell his grandkids that at one point he had a game-winning interception at Lambeau Field. He's probably going to have that ball on display on his mantelpiece. Like Those are just really cool, really awesome moments for guys that, like I said, maybe they'll go on to the XFL. Maybe they'll make big names for themselves in the NFL. I'm certainly not uh, you know, rooting against them in any way, shape, or form. I hope they all go on to extremely successful NFL careers, ideally with the Packers. But whatever happens, they now have those really cool moments and memories that they can hang on to for forever. So Alex Magoo, McCrary, Benny Sapp, those guys, some really cool stuff and really cool moments towards the end of that game that, like I said, I'm sure they're going to sort of remember forever. And you kind of get some of those preseason moments in those sort of games from time to time. I thought the Benny Sapp one where he gets the pick and the whole team is just jumping up and down and celebrating around him. I mean, what more could you want as an undrafted free agent safety who doesn't know what Tuesday is going to hold for him? 
whatever happens happens, but that moment will live on forever for Benny Sapp. And I just think those things, maybe it's just me, maybe it's just the, the, the Packer nerd in me, but I think those are, are really cool moments that I think deserve to be celebrated. Uh, let's talk about the rest of the game, starting from the beginning and kind of going through. So you, first of all, had your did not pra- or did not participates, right? You had uh, Dontavian Wicks, Eric Stokes, Jair Alexander, Tavarius Moore, Lou Nichols, Aaron Jones, uh, and then, um, you know, Tyler Goodson, Henry Pearson, Rashawn Gary, Devondre Campbell, David Bakhtiari, Luke Tenuta, Bo Melton, and Romeo Dobbs, who we'll talk about in just a moment. Really tough for some of those fringe guys, right? Your Lou Nichols, your Tyler Goodsons, your Bo Meltons, your Henry Pearsons. You would love for those guys to be able to go out and have an opportunity to play for their jobs rather than having to sit on the sideline with an injury. So you hate to see it. Thankfully, Anthony Johnson Jr. was able to go and participate, but you just hate seeing some of those guys who work so hard to get to that spot and then they can't play due to an injury. So we'll see what that brings for some of those guys that were fringe roster spots or roster guys uh, with not being able to par- you know participate in that game. Um, but hate to see that overall. From an injury standpoint, a mixed bag. First of all, in the game, you didn't really have any injuries of note, which is an awesome thing to see in the week three preseason game. You know, with it certainly being the closest to week one, you don't want to see any guys go down. We didn't see that. You know, we, Royce Newman went down at one point. He went back in the game. Uh, Sean Clifford went down. That was a little bit of a you know, nervous moment because he's just got named the backup quarterback. He's going to be the backup quarterback. And now all of a sudden, like if he has an injured hand, especially his throwing hand, like that's going to be an issue, right? But he's apparently totally fine. Sounds like he hit his fun bone would have been able to go back in if they needed him to, but with it being the fourth quarter, they just put in Alex Magoo and let him have the remainder of that quarter. So no concerns there. However, there were two other injury notes. The first one was with Romeo Dobbs and it was a hamstring injury. And they had, it's like per Matt LaFleur, when he talked about it post game, it sounds like they were kind of going into the game, expecting him to play and then is out with a hamstring injury. You never want to see that two weeks away from your regular season opener against the Chicago Bears. Matt kind of uh, spoke out of both sides of his mouth when answering the question as to whether or not Dobbs is going to be okay. He started by saying, you know, there's always concern anytime you're expecting a player to play and he doesn't end up playing. He then said it did seem more precautionary, but also then kind of punted on it and said, you'll have to wait and see basically until that initial injury report comes out. So I don't know, hamstrings, you never want to see anything, you know, around a hamstring with a a player like Romeo Dobbs that could potentially linger or anything like that. So that's going to be one where we're going to have to kind of keep a close eye on it as the next two weeks kind of go on. And as we do start getting actual injury reports, hopefully he's fine and ready to go for week one. But that's definitely probably the biggest level of concern coming out of the game. And then Devondre Campbell was asked, uh, he was in the locker room post game and was asked about his injury. And he basically said, we'll see. Uh, if he's going to be able to go in week one and, you know, said he's got two weeks to to heal up and, and hopefully be out there. But, you know, he didn't seem super committal to being able to necessarily go week one either. So got out of the game with no injuries, it seems like. But two key players, Devondre Campbell starting inside linebacker and Romeo Dobbs starting wide receiver, a little bit more clarity on their status, at least, I guess, more we heard about it, but we don't have great clarity as to whether or not they're going to be able to go week one against the Bears or not. So those are going to be two very big injuries to monitor through the course of the next two weeks. All right, let's talk about Jordan Love next. As I mentioned, I didn't think we had like any major takeaways from Love. A lot of the same things we saw, right? We know he has command of the offense. We know that he is going to be able to go through his progressions. We know that he's going to be able to buy time and navigate the pocket. 
We know there's going to be some inaccuracy from time to time, which we saw in that Christian Watson play. It was, it's really funny always seeing like a play in real time and it just it being a Rorschach test for how people view a specific play. Like you, you watch all the comments that came in from what happened on that Jordan Love throw to Christian Watson. And it was everything from, it was just the wind to Jordan Love completely screwed it up to Christian Watson completely screwed it up. So there was blame put on the wind, blame put on Love, blame put on Watson, and everyone had like a different viewpoint. The truth is, it's as it almost always is, is the truth lies somewhere in the middle, right? So let's start off. The, the first thing I'll, I'll talk about, the wind, not, not, a harsh enough wind that you can't find a way to cut through that and hit a wide open Christian Watson. So I'm not buying the wind excuse. I do think everything factors in. I do. And I asked Jordan about this kind of after of like, is this a timing issue? Is this just need more practice? Is this, you know, uh, a mechanical issue? Like what, what is the issue with some of the deep balls being incomplete? Basically just said, you know, they, that they just want to continue to work on it and make sure that they can complete more of those moving forward. But, um, I, to me, the wind, yes, it maybe plays a factor in the play, but it's not an excuse. You still have to find a way to make that throw. What I'll start by saying is Watson makes a great play on the corner and he comes wide open. So awesome win on that for Christian Watson on the route and the separation. The next piece here is Jordan under threw it pretty severely, I would say. If Jordan hits that in stride, that's a touchdown. Matt said after practice that Jordan would like that one back. Jordan took the responsibility after or after the game, excuse me, not after practice, after the game. Jordan, after the game, said he would like that one back. So that that's on Jordan, right? There's no two ways about that. So Jordan underthrew it. If it's on target, if it's on time, that's an easy touchdown for Christian Watson. An easy, easy touchdown. So Jordan, in my opinion, left six points out there by not hitting that throw in stride. So that's a negative for Jordan, no matter what way you want to look at it. Now, as far as Christian Watson goes, you can certainly put a little negative towards him as well. Now, not in my opinion, not as much because the ball's underthrown. He wins. He's got that ability to, you know, he should have had the ability to just make an easy catch in stride and, and go in for the touchdown, right? And he goes up, he gets it. And then the initial point of contact is him hitting it in the hands. And then it gets contested after that in the Seahawks defenders right there. And it makes it a much more difficult catch. However, what I will say is that you know, some of the, the best players and some of the best plays are the ones where it's not perfect and you help your teammate out. And what I mean by that is Jordan missed the throw, right? But it wasn't a bad enough miss where it didn't give Christian any chance whatsoever. And Christian had the ability to bail out his quarterback and say, you know what? I know it was underthrown. I know this isn't going to result in a touchdown, but I can still make this an explosive play downfield. I got my hands on the ball. I got to find a way to make the make the catch and go help out my quarterback who put a little bit less on it than it probably should have been, right? So sometimes you got to help out your other player. And sometimes it's going to be that Christian doesn't run the, a good enough route on the play, but Jordan's got to find a way to throw him open. And sometimes it's going to be you know, Jordan helping out Christian. Sometimes it's going to be, you know, whatever the case may be. Sometimes somebody may miss a block. Like uh, it might be, you know, Romeo Dobbs missed a block on a wide receiver screen, but Jaden Reed was able to juke out the guy anyway and make a miss and, and continue on down the field. It's not always going to be perfect. Football is an imperfect game, as Matt LaFleur will always tell you. And sometimes you got to find a way to overcome and still go make the play. So to me, this is on Jordan overall. If he puts it out there, it's an easy play and it should have been an easy play. He had miles of separation, awesome route, and that's got to be six. But for Christian, yeah, it's not perfect. Now it's contested, but now you got to find a way to make that play too. So that's how I view that play. More on Jordan. And uh, like I said, Watson did a great job of getting open and should have been six, but 
That's that's how I would that's how I would grade that play is a bigger negative for Jordan, a positive for Christian on the route, a negative for a, sl- a lesser negative for for Christian for not finding a way to come down with that ball, even though it was a contested situation. What else I think it, we did learn about Jordan, maybe not learn, but we saw really close up and in action in this game was Jordan's real true ability to not only navigate the pocket, but to use his legs, know when to scramble and you know break tackles. There was the one play where the defender came through and he just kind of put his arm out and, and was able to gain separation. I think that's the one he threw a little bit low for, for Jaden Reed on, but he bought time on multiple occasions. He scrambled, he caught a pass. Those are the sort of things where you know, it doesn't always show up on the box score. Certainly the running will. He had five rushes for 33 yards in the preseason um, and, and certainly showed off his legs a little bit in this game as well. But his ability to navigate that pocket and then escape when he needs to while also keeping his eyes downfield, those can th- those type of things can result in some really big plays as we've seen with Aaron through the course of time and his ability to buy time and, and, and scramble around and, and make those explosive plays. So I, I thought Jordan was phenomenal from a pocket standpoint. Didn't always necessarily equate to, to big plays down the field. He did scramble at times and pick up yards, pick up first downs, etc. cetera. Uh, but I thought overall his pocket awareness and pocket presence really showed off in this game of exactly what he's capable of. Even when things aren't perfect for the offense, Jordan has the ability to extend and create and be a sort of X factor and, and really use his legs as well to pick up yards or to buy time and, and find players downfield. So I thought that was very evident and on display in this game. In totality, here was the the total box score for Jordan's preseason. 21 of 33 for 193 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions, five rushes, 33 yards. And I think what we learned from Jordan is not, again, and I've kind of made mention of this before, is it's not necessarily that this is going to be a perfect situation. I think this is going to be a work in progress. I don't think we know Jordan's ceiling. But I think we learned a lot about him as a player and as a quarterback and certainly set the floor a lot higher than I think we had going in. Like, where where would you feel right now if Jordan Love in the preseason was 13 of 33 for 106 yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions? You would feel a whole heck of a lot different, right? So I think the fact that he went out, had a good preseason, good joint practices, and really a nice training camp, I think it sets the bar for where we can expect Jordan to be. Like, it's really hard to imagine where he's not a solid quarterback in some capacity and it's where he's just bad. Like he's just too talented and he's just like too nuanced with where he's at with his game right now for him to be bad going into the regular season. Now, teams are going to game plan for him. They're going to take away his favorite targets. They're going to take away the things that he likes doing most. There's going to be some real learning moments. There's going to be times where he has to overcome adversity. All of those things are unequivocally true, but he's shown me that he is very capable as an NFL quarterback. He has taken significant strides from his rookie season until now. And personally, I'm really excited to see what he can go out and do in the regular season. And if some of the timing and accuracy just picks up a smidge, now you're really cooking. And I think you have a potential to be a really solid quarterback this season and really maybe even potentially help Green Bay try to get into the playoffs with where he's at as a quarterback. So it's going to be fun to watch. I can't wait. Not saying again that there's not going to be some some tough moments along the way, but I think it's going to be enjoyable to watch these young playmakers grow together with Jordan Love and and really see what they can be, not just this year, but in the subsequent years after that, where hopefully they're competing at even a higher level. Hello, friends. First of all, I just want to say thank you for listening to and being a supporter of the Packaday podcast. You have all helped make Packaday one of the most downloaded sports podcasts in the world today, and I want to sincerely thank you for that. 
For those of you who don't know, Packaday is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. It's our partnership with Blue Wire that allows us to bring you this amazing Packers content 365 days a year. Blue Wire currently has over 300 shows with former athletes, celebrities, media professionals, and passionate fans like us. Over the past few years, they've raised over $10 million to grow and operate business and support podcasts like the Packaday Podcast. Now, Blue Wire is raising another round of funding by utilizing WeFunder. This funding will help support Blue Wire sales team and improve operations. This is giving everyone the opportunity to be a part of a growing company. This is not a donation. You are literally investing to own a piece of Blue Wire. A few years ago, I took the leap and started partnering with Blue Wire, and it was one of the best decisions that I've ever made. I'm hoping you'll consider doing the same. If you would like to be part of the Blue Wire investment round or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash bluewire. That's wefunder.com slash bluewire. And remember, supporting Blue Wire is another way to support the Packaday podcast and our Packaday podcast team. Thank you. Hello friends. As many of you know, a few years back, the Milwaukee Bucks were in the NBA finals and I desperately wanted to go to game six in Milwaukee to see them win the championship. As you can imagine, prices were insane and I kept going back and forth with different apps to try and find the cheapest tickets possible. I finally found them, clicked purchase, and of course they were gone. Goodbye game six of the NBA finals. Now, thankfully the day of the game, I was able to find a ticket, but the entire thing was so expensive and way too stressful. I really wish I could have simply used GameTime to alleviate all of the stress and all of the hassle. I've started using GameTime app for purchasing all of my tickets, and I wish I would have done so sooner. From low prices to easy to find tickets to last minute ticket deals, the GameTime app is perfect for all of my ticket needs. GameTime is the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. You can get images of your seat before you buy, you can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two clicks only in fact, and tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never need to dig through your email. The GameTime guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, GameTime will credit you 110% of the difference. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code PACKADAY for $20 off your first purchase. That's code P-A-C-K-A-D-A-Y. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code PACKADAY for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. One of the, I think the real bright spots in this game was Anders Carlson. 43-yard field goal, good. 57-yard field goal, good. Extra point at the end, good. Did have the one blocked extra point, which was not his fault at all. But overall, he's kicked pretty well at Lambeau, family night in preseason games. Still would love to see the consistency through the week, but sometimes when the lights come on, you need to kick your best. And so far, that's kind of been what Anders has done. You hate to see the blocked extra point. You don't want to see any of that special teams crap creeping in again, and hopefully it won't. They did, I think, get a, at least a fingertip maybe on that punt uh, to, to you know kind of block a punt or at least disturb it and make it that it was not a very good punt at all. But overall, these are the sort of things, that, meaning the blocked extra point, that it just can't happen on special teams anymore. There's been too much of an emphasis. You've got one of the best special teams coaches in, in football, and you've put a roster together that this stuff should not be happening. Like there is an emphasis on keeping special teams players. And we don't know what they're going to keep on the 53, but there's a lot of special teams only guys right now on this team. That stuff can't happen. It's just preseason and you're willing to give the the one ounce of forgiveness on this one. But if that stuff continues to happen in the regular season, like it is, it's past the point of absurdity at that point. Like that that stuff just cannot happen. So hopefully just a one-off and they get it cleaned up in the regular season. Look like Tucker Craft was the one to blame on that. And that's where like, I know everyone's like, oh, are you really lamenting the Tyler Davis loss that much? That's the sort of stuff. That's Tyler Davis's spot. He would have been in on that play. 
Like he's he's very good at that sort of thing. And missing him is definitely going to hurt this special teams. He was the he played more special team snaps than any other player on the Packers last year, like by a lot. So he's going to be missed. And uh, those are exactly the things that can happen when you miss some of your core special teamers like Tyler Davis. So be very cognizant that it even more so with Tyler Davis out, they're going to have to keep some guys on this team that maybe don't have a key role on offense or defense, but are going to have to play a huge role on special teams. And they're going to want more of that experience, especially when the guy who played more of it than anyone else last year is out for the year with an injury. But good day from Anders Carlson and hopefully a real positive step in the right direction for him. Next player I wanted to talk about was Malik Heath. Now, a pretty ho-hum, four-catch, 35-yard performance on seven targets, had a false start to start the game. It's not like he just went out and tore it up, right? However, first snap of the game with the starters, Romeo Dobbs out, he's in the game. Like, he was the starter. That's not by accident. Put him in your locks list. He is going to make this team. He is not going anywhere. And, I, like, if Green Bay had any inkling that, like, hey, maybe we can cut this guy and get him claimed, uh, you know, get him back in the practice squad without getting him claimed. You know what you don't do? Start him on the number one snap on offense and and, and with the starters, right? You're going to try to hide him. And maybe maybe you don't play him very much. And maybe, or like maybe just at the end of the fourth quarter so that teams think that he's not very good or whatever. You hide him as much as possible if you want to try to get away with cutting him and getting him back in the practice squad. They didn't do that at all. They started him. He is going to make the team. I mentioned, and I tweeted out the RAS comparison, the relative athletic score and just their athletic profiles. I'm not comparing them apples to apples by any means, but there's a little bit of James Jones in Malik Heath's game. You can really kind of see some of that with the possession wide receiver that he is. I'm I'm very, very intrigued by, my, by Malik Heath and to the point where I actually do think if let's say Romeo Dobbs, and we're not even going to really try to speak this into existence, but if, if in some other multiverse, he is not able to go week one, I think Malik Heath is your starter. I think it's going to be Malik Heath and Christian Watson on the outside with Jaden Reed in the slot. I think those are your top three wide receivers if you have to go into the game without Romeo Dobbs. And I think he's the number four wide receiver right now. That's how much he has catapulted himself up from a potential, like, could he make the team? Could he not make the team? To, I think, legitimately seeing snaps on the field. And if you want to know what his quarterbacks think about him, here was Sean Clifford's quote afterwards, quote, you know how I feel about Malik because I give him the ball whenever I can. That dude wins on his routes all the time. I know he's an undrafted guy, but he has continuously proven why he should be on this team. I'm a huge Malik Heath fan. That was Sean Clifford. Jordan Love, quote, he's balled out since he got here. I think the biggest thing since he got here is just how aggressive he catches the ball. He attacks it, his mentality, and once he catches it, he's trying to get those yards. These are two quarterbacks that really like Malik Heath, understandably so. Sometimes you don't necessarily need, as a quarterback, it's it's great to have the, the speedy wide receivers, the playmaking wide receivers. Sometimes when everything breaks down, you want to look across and see a 6-2 possession wide receiver that you know is going to come back to the ball and fight aggressively for it. Because when everything else is, when they're blitzing the crap out of you and you just need to get rid of the ball quickly, you know you need to know that you have a possession receiver somewhere over the middle that you can trust where even if it's not perfect, it's probably going to end up incomplete. And maybe just maybe based on their mentality, as Jordan Love said, they might just go up and get that ball anyway. 
So like I said, four catches, 35 yards and seven targets with a full start. Not going to be Malik Heath's greatest day ever, but the fact that he was with the starters, the quotes from the quarterbacks and just his overall body of work from day one of rookie minicamp up until now has been super impressive. He is going to make this team and deservedly so. He has been really, really good. And like I said, a little bit of James Jones to his game, the more and more that I watch him. All right, a couple other players I wanted to talk about really quick here. I thought Isaiah McDuffie, he did have the little pass interference. I didn't think it was super egregious, at least at first glance. It was tough to tell both live and on the game replay, but he had like three or four just awesome sound tackles. I thought he had a really nice game filling in for Devondre Campbell. We talked about it earlier. Not 100% sure if Devondre Campbell is going to be able to go week one. I thought Isaiah McDuffie put out some really good tape overall through the course of preseason with what he's capable of doing as a backup. Not ideal, right? You want Devondre out there, no questions about it. But McDuffie, a really solid backup to have on the roster if you do end up in that situation at some point this year. Meanwhile, player that really hurt himself, Royce Newman, two penalties on the day, didn't block very well. They kept him in through the fourth quarter to try to, I think, you know, see what, you know, give him more chances, I guess, if nothing else. Went out injured for a bit, did go back in on special teams, but just a, a really rough, really rough offseason, like from, from mini camps, OTAs to training camp to preseason for Royce Newman. There's no two ways about it. And I tweeted out, I'm like, am I... Did I uh, like imagine or dream that this was a guy who played a thousand plus snaps in 2019 as a rookie on a 13 win team, a thousand snaps as a rookie on a 13 win team on offense, an offense that was pretty darn good. And now he doesn't look like playable at all. Like the, the, just the downgrade over the past two seasons for Royce has been super disappointing. And here's the thing, right? He can go back to his rookie year. It wasn't great by any means, but it was serviceable. It was like, hey, if we need this guy, he could go in and, and you're not like worried about it. You know, it's, it's not going to be great. He's not going to win you the game, but he's not probably going to lose you the game. Right now, he looks like a guy that could lose you the game at any moment and lose you your starting quarterback at any moment. Like that's what he's looked like. And that's really disappointing because maybe even you could say and make the argument of like, hey, it was never really great having Royce Newman out there, which fine, but there's certainly were points where it was like, hey, if this guy is your you know, seventh, eighth offensive lineman, you're that's a really great spot to be in. And it may not seem like much, but having a fourth round pick go from like a seventh, eighth guy that you can trust and he can go in there and you're okay with it to just a guy that you can't even play and probably you're going to have to release, that that sucks. That he and, and certainly after that rookie year, you're hoping like, hey, if he can just get a little bit stronger in the you know in the weight room and, and put on some functional strength, and now he has a thousand snaps under his belt, probably going to take a jump in year two. You're thinking, hey, this guy could be a seven eight year starter if he just takes a small step. And instead, again, by this point in time, he I don't think he makes the team. He certainly would not be on my fifty three man roster prediction. Spoiler for the the next coming days here, but. I just don't think you can put him on the field at any point. And if, if you can't, then why is he on the roster? And it, just a, a tough day, tough offseason for Roy Snuman. And I, I liked him coming out. I thought there was a real chance that he could make a name for himself. Um, it just has kind of gone south and that really sucks. And I'm cheering for him. If he does make the team, I hope that he just turns it around and figures it back out. And like I say, even if he plays like he did as a rookie, that's serviceable. That's like if he's your eighth or ninth guy, you're fine with. So hopefully, uh, you know, can figure out a way to put it back together, but just doesn't, just seems all out of sorts right now, which is like, like I said, very, very disappointing. On the flip side, a couple guys who helped themselves, Jadakus Bonds, you know, I thought he had an awesome week of practice, multiple big, big plays down the field. In fact, three, and, you know, also showed off some really amazing hands and some contested catch situations. Three plays in this one. He has a slant where he plucks the ball out of the air, 
He has, the, of course, the big play down the field that sets up the game-winning touchdown. Also had a really nice block on the outside. I, ta- I said this earlier this week, but lock in Jadakus Bonds for a practice squad spot, assuming he doesn't get claimed, which I don't think he will. But I, I would be very surprised if he got claimed. But lock him in for a practice squad spot in Green Bay. I think he's done awesome work. And I think there is some legitimate upside there for Jadakus Bonds. And I, I will own my own mistake earlier. I said earlier in OTAs and minicamps that I thought he was the 90th player on the roster and he was like dropping passes and he didn't look he didn't look like an NFL wide receiver at all. It's possible. I mean, obviously, like I said, I'm owning my mistake here, but I also think the jump that he has made from OTAs and minicamp to right now at this point has been maybe bigger than any other player on this team for the jump that they've made from that time until now. So Kudos to him. Like I said, lock him into a practice squad spot. He has been super impressive. And the flashes are like, what what he ends up amounting to, who the heck knows? But the flashes have been really fun to watch. And he is, you can tell he's put in the work and it is paying off for him right now. Uh, Brenton Cox, another player who I thought helped himself. Two tackles for loss on like the first few plays he was in. Also batted down a pass. There were a couple offensive tackles that he just overwhelmed with power. I thought he put a really nice performance together to try to get uh, his name on the 53-man roster as well. That was a step in the right direction for him. Carrington Valentine had a bounce-back performance. We talked about that. He had the near pick six. Maybe uh, you could argue that he should have had the pick six and like those are always interesting ones to grade, right? Like let's say it was through thrown like right to him, like right in the hands. This one was obviously a little bit up and a little bit more difficult. But let's say it's thrown right to him. Like how do you want to grade that, right? Because he's right there. He jumped the pass. He did everything right, but literally not not catching it costs your team six points because he's gone, right? So I'm not saying that one was perfectly thrown to him and that like it's a no brainer interception, especially for a DB. They're a reason they're a DB and not a wide receiver, right? But that's one you would love to see him hang on to in some capacity, pick off and take to the house. But still, nice play to jump the pass and and it, if nothing else, bat it away. Almost come up with a pick. He's just he's constantly around the ball, sometimes for better or worse. But he has such real playmaking potential. And then uh, had a really nice tackle in the open field as well. So I thought it was a really nice bounce back, bounce back performance by Carrington Valentine. John Runyon Jr. and Zach Tom got some snaps at center. And I think this is so smart, right? Because with no Lucas Patrick, or sorry, not Lucas Patrick, uh, Jake Hansen. I, I've done that like 20 times. Usually I've edited it out. But I, for some reason, Lucas Patrick and Jake Hansen, I just want to transpose for some reason. But Jake Hansen, with him being gone, don't really have a another true center option on the roster, right? And I didn't think they were going to keep Hansen anyway. But you're going to have to live at center with guys who can play center, but aren't like a typical you know, backup center, right? Elton Jenkins, we know can play it. Zach Tom, we know can play it. John Runyon Jr., they've cross-trained. They've even given some snaps to Sean Ryan as well. So they're not going to have a true, at least I'd be pretty surprised. James Empey has had a couple moments, but I don't think he's making the 53. So I don't think they're going to have a traditional center uh, on the, you know, 53-man roster besides Josh Myers, but they have a lot of players who can play it in a pinch if need be. All right, overall players that I thought helped their status in this game, Patrick Taylor, I thought had a nice game and continues to be the the guy that they trust in pass protection, which is huge. And he's a core special teams guy as well. I thought Brenton Cox, we just talked about, but I thought he helped himself. Jadakus Bonds, not as a 53 guy, but like I said, lock him into the practice squad. And I thought Daniel Whelan had a nice day at punting as well. A lot of punts in this game, but I thought Whelan did a really nice job and he certainly helped his cause. 
players who hurt themselves. Royce Newman, we talked about. Emmanuel Wilson, not all his fault. The blocking wasn't always great, but 17 carries for 49 yards, two catches for nine yards. He really needed like this big explosive performance. I didn't think he got it. I don't expect him to make the 53. It's not impossible. It certainly could happen, but um, I didn't think that this performance necessarily helped him too much, especially when I thought Patrick Taylor had a nice day as well. Keandre Thomas, I didn't think had a great day. He had a, a you know big completion down the field. Ennis Gaines allowed the touchdown, uh, and I didn't think he had a great day in coverage. Austin Allen needed a bigger game. Uh, so those are some players that hurt themselves. So helped Taylor, Cox, Bonds, and Whelan. Hurt Newman, Wilson, Thomas, Gaines, and Allen. All right, one last uh, set of comments. A good thing that I liked in this game and a bad thing that I liked it or didn't like in this game. The good thing TJ Slayton doing the Gravedigger celebration, wearing the number 93, getting into the backfield looking like Gilbert Brown, and then doing the shovel in the dirt. Man, that that was perfect. Continue to do it. It's absolutely awesome. I need more TJ Slayton Gravedigger in my life. The bad, I know it's preseason. I know it doesn't matter, but if it if it just stayed in preseason and never showed its ugly head in the regular season, I wouldn't care. But the fact that the wave is still going on, period, really, but on offense especially, is just insane. Like, and again, I know it's preseason, but this happens at regular season games. I don't understand it. How at this point, with any sort of knowledge of football at all, do you not understand? Literally, Jordan Love is on the Jumbotron telling people to sit down and shut up. Bill Jarts, the the guy that's doing the, the play-by-play for the stands, is literally like, we're on offense, not now. Like he's trying to get them like to not do the, it is insane to me that the wave can be done. And I'll, one last thing, the wave is stupid. It is dumb. It is stupid. It's like 1970s, like corny. All right. I, if, unless you are doing something cool, like at the Badger game where they do it really fast and then in slow motion and they have some unique thing that you're doing with it, it's dumb and it's stupid and it's dead and it belongs back in the 1970s. That's my take. I'm standing by it. That's all I got for you today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't, I'm sorry. If you did, make sure to subscribe. I'll be right back here tomorrow with an all new episode. My cadence might be a little bit off. This is going to be technically like my Sunday episode, but I'm uploading it late on Saturday. So there's not going to be another one 5 a.m. on Sunday. Uh, but I, I might get one later up tomorrow. We'll see. Uh, but I will have a 53-man roster with Justice Mosqueda coming at some point. And then, like I said, we'll get back to our normal cadence after that. But might be a little bit jumbled for the next couple days. See you guys tomorrow, though. Until next time, and as always, go Paco.